Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. Hello. Good morning. Good. How late did you work last night? One? And you're here. Okay, anyone work later than one o'clock in the morning last night? Anybody? Okay. Hey, there are the great seats right here. Just right, this first row is calling out. Don't. Okay. All right. Right there. All right. That's fine. Um, so, Jesse, you win the wanted it most award today. Congratulations. Well, just 1, 1 a.m. and here you are. Everyone else was in bed by 10. And they're rested, and here you are, 1 o'clock. All right, uh, hello everybody, my name is Mike, and we want to welcome you to uh, our community. Hello, there are great seats in the front row, phenomenal seats right here. Don't shake your head at me, don't shake your head, don't, you're not, don't pretend like you don't hear me talking to you. No, that's, no, what are you sneaking out early? Do you not, do you not enjoy people? I mean, it is safe to belong for introverts, but here we go, here we go. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. That, see, see, right here. Oh, look at you guys, they come down, nice. Oh, except, front row? Yeah, there's not enough, there's not enough seats in the second row, guys. You gotta go front row. You gotta do it. Come on, I'm not starting until... Until this happens. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to make it okay. You're going to make it okay. It's okay. It's okay. It is. Right here, it's okay. All right. Um, uh, so my name is Mike, and we want to welcome you to our community. Hey, guys. Good morning. Perfect. Right there. Good morning, ladies. On a scale... Of one to zero, how excited are you to be here right now? <laughs> zero, okay, I got gotcha. you, I got gotcha. you, me too. Um, anyway, sorry. So, um, so we're a church called Vox, and uh, Vox is Latin for voice. And um, we like that it's Latin. And, uh, and, and the idea, uh, we started a, a community out of a podcast uh, interestingly enough, and so we're about two months old. If you are new with us, we are very excited that you are here. Um, and and it, this is really becoming an interesting sort of community for many reasons, but one of them is it's a, it's a, really, it's a really cool mix of people who um, are church kind of folks and people who are not, people who are fans of church, people who've been hurt by the church, people who believe, people who don't believe, people who are doubting and skeptical and whatever. And, uh, and to all of you, we say hi, we're really glad you're here, and you have a great deal of permission to be however you are. So there'll be some singing, you do not have to join in. There'll be some standing, you do not have to stand. Uh, there, will, there will be people who will be giving money, you do not have to give money. Um, I was going to insert a joke. Uh, there, there, will be, there will be people sleeping. You, don't, you do not have to join them. Okay? You, we always have one or two that, that looks like they're saying amen. And then you look closer and you realize, nope, they're nodding off. Uh, and so um, if you want to find out more about us, you can go on to voxoc.com. 
uh, which is our website. There's also a link that says feedback at voxoc.com. We, we're always interested uh, to hear what you think and what your experience is like. Right now, if you have kids, they're all jammed into one gym, and it's the non-air-conditioned one. Um, and so you really, if you have kids, you really want to go thank the people that are over there taking care of your kids because they missed this uh, in order to take care of your kids, and it's hot. Um, we also do something every month called a new to Vox dinner, and that tells you a little bit more about uh, what you're getting into, uh, should you choose to come more than once. Uh, and then there's also a form on our website that just lets us know that you're here and that adds you to our email list. So I think that's all I got. Any questions? Any comments? It's been a big week. I was up, I was up in the mountains, so I had no internet access. Totally bummed to miss more politics. Totally sad. Nothing? We're all good? All right. Let's go to the book of Luke, shall we? If, uh, if you're new to the Bible, we're going to put everything up on the screen. If you want to take out your phone, if you want to take it out an actual book, there are these things that, uh, that have pages. Uh, so if you're over, over 40, you know what these things are called. Um, and uh, no, you are more than invited to follow along up on the screen. We've been looking at, we're, we're, we're unashamedly big fans of uh, this Jesus of Nazareth. And um, we also believe that um, he hasn't been well represented uh, often by his people, and, and to some degree, all of us who are his followers are guilty of that, me at the top of that list. But one of the, one of the correctives we want to bring is just to go back to what he was like in his first century context. And, um, and so one of the ways we're doing that is we're looking at the insults that were uh, given to Jesus, the labels, because one of the ways you can learn about what he was actually like um, are what his opponents said about him. And so um, we, we want to look at one of the kind of most slanderous insults given to him today. Let's start in Luke. What did I say? Seven? I think I meant five. I meant, I meant five. I meant Luke five. This is all by memory, guys. You see notes up here? Do you see any? So I'm allowed, I'm allowed to miss by two chapters, right? We can all agree with that. I'm in a great mood today, and uh, clearly I'm alone. And so um, that's just, that's fine. That is totally fine. You do not have to be. It's safe. You're safe here to be, to be tired and grumpy, but I, I am not. All right, Luke chapter 5. Now, this is, this is Jesus just being crazy. Um, he got into so much trouble. If you're new to the Bible, the, the great irony of Jesus of Nazareth is that, is that the, the most sinful people loved him and the most religious people couldn't stand him. And that's kind of flipped around over 2,000 years. And so we're curious, curious why he was such a polarizing figure. And so uh, this gives you a glimpse into what he was like. One day, uh, verse uh, 17, chapter 5, Lorraine. One day Jesus was teaching... And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. These are religious groups that were considered the experts in the form of Judaism of which Jesus was a part. They'd come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So they traveled 30 plus miles to come hear Jesus teach. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now, these aren't big houses. Odds are this is in Capernaum, which is a little hamlet uh, on the Sea of Galilee, maybe 200 people. 
This house wouldn't be a big house. It would be subdivided into a couple of rooms. Typically, houses in that region had, um, Luke's going to call it a tile roof because he's writing to Romans, but it, it, it was a, a roof of, of straw, maybe some tile, maybe some brick, maybe, maybe something um, semi-sturdy so that you could hang light garments, you could hang, uh, you could leave stuff out to dry up there. There was usually a little staircase or ladder on the outside of this one-room place to kind of go up onto the roof, all right? So this is the image. Jesus has packed out the place, and again, it's not a huge uh, audience, but it, they, they could not bring their friend. Jesus, at this point, had a reputation as an incredible miracle worker. So we've got some friends. Here's a paralyzed man. They can't bring him in the front door. Notice what they do. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles. All right, so just this is the situation. Um, Jesus is sitting there, and, and most likely the, the person whose house it is is sitting right next to him in the position of honor at his right hand. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the talk, you start seeing dust filter down. And, and, then, and then there's some scraping, and, you're, and, you're, and, and, then, and then just a bit of sunlight sort of peeks through. And how big a hole does this have to be to lower a man down in front of Jesus, right? And you can imagine the owner of the house at that point is trying to fight through the crowd in the opposite direction to go, what, the wor- what in the world is going on? And there's more dust and then there's falling tiles and people are clearing out while this is happening. And I don't know how you picture Jesus, but I guarantee you, although the text doesn't say this, I guarantee you Jesus was laughing. <laughs> guarantee Jesus was laughing. And, and could he heal the house? Sure. So he wasn't worried about it. I don't know that he did that. But <laughs> so, so the, the whole, the whole like, little teaching thing comes to a screeching halt. They went up on the roof. They dug a hole in the roof. They lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Good aim by these guys. When Jesus saw their faith. Now, Interesting, in the Bible, faith is something you can see. It's not just something you believe in your head. Faith actually shows itself in how people actually live. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're the paralyzed guy, what are you thinking at that point? Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Grateful for forgiveness. Don't want to ever argue with forgiveness. I didn't come for forgiveness. Did you see the whole paralyzed thing? I mean, I could just imagine the paralyzed guy just going. <laughs> now, th- there's some speculation here. Th- there were many cases in the first century where diseases, deformities, Paralysis was attributed to sin in the person's life or the sin of their parents. So forgiving sin, culture... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There, that's my wife. And if you think I can focus while she walks in a room, you are mistaken. There she is. There she is. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That is what I am talking about. (laughs) 
Let's go to the book Song of Solomon, just for a moment. <laughs> I want to read to you a verse my wife committed to memory when she first met me. <laughs> Song of Solomon's chapter 1, verse 1. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for his love is more delightful than wine. All right, back to Luke. So, we've got a hole in a roof, a paralyzed man right in front of Jesus. Jesus, I'm convinced, is laughing. And then with all seriousness, says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, to the audience they would have attributed his paralysis to his sin. So it made sense that Jesus would say this, but you're still kind of left like, okay, what else? The Pharisees, now here comes, here comes our insult. Here comes our insult. Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks what? Blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone. Now, in order to have forgiveness of sins in the first century, once a year, you would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and that you would celebrate Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. What you would do is that you would have a sacrifice, you would, have a, you would buy a sacrifice, you would give it to the priest, it had to be prepared, you'd give it to the priest, the priest would sacrifice it, you fasted that day, I mean, it was a very solemn day, still is, and then the priest would uh, announce atonement, that your sins had been covered, your sins had been remediated, and that's how you achieve forgiveness of sins. For Jesus, a Galilean laborer, to just walk around forgiving sins without sacrifice, priest, or temple was a huge deal. And to ha- for him to claim he had the authority to do that was an indirect claim to... Thank you for finishing my sentence. Yes, that's, I didn't know where I was going to go, and then you just led me right there. An indirect claim to be God. There were two ways to commit blasphemy in ancient Judaism. One way was the misuse of the divine name. So if you attached it to an empty thing, if you, you made a curse using it, I mean, there were, all way, there were all kind of ways to blaspheme the holy name. But another way to blaspheme the name was to claim for yourself something only God could do. And this is what Jesus is doing here. Only God forgives sins. And he does it when you go to the temple, grab a sacrifice, and have the priest offer it. And here Jesus is just, there's dust everywhere. And he's like, oh yeah, your sins are forgiven. So the religious leaders go, he's blaspheming. Notice Jesus, Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? There were many healers in ancient Judaism. So it's easier to heal somebody than it is to forgive sins. Forgive sins, that's something only God does. I want you to know that the Son of Man, this is a messianic title borrowed from Daniel 7, for those of you keeping track at home. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed guy, get up, take up the mat you were lowered on, and go. Do you see what Jesus has done? 
I know you don't believe I have the authority to do this, so I'm going to heal him and you can see that so that you believe I have authority to do what you can't see, which was to forgive him. Jesus does this again. Flip over to chapter 7. Remember the woman who interrupts the dinner party? The very sinful woman that interrupts the dinner party? Remember her? Okay. Eight of us. Greatest, greatest teaching ever. Luke chapter 7. Notice verse 47. This is the end of that story. There's this notoriously sinful woman that interrupts a dinner party at a Pharisee's house. She weeps over his feet. She's totally scandalous in her behavior to Jesus. Jesus then rebukes the religious leader that was judging her and judging him for not judging her. He says, verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as great, her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus looks at her and says, Oh yeah, by the way, very sinful woman, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this that forgives sins? Right? That's blasphemy. Now, Jesus gets accused of this all over the place. All right, let me show you a couple of examples. Go ahead and put up John 8. Can you guys see this okay? Beautiful. John chapter 8. Now, man, this is so good and so hard to explain. Um, Abraham was considered the father of the Jewish people. Jesus is in an argument with some of the Jewish leaders about who is more Jewish and who is better representing Abraham, Jesus or the Jewish leaders? The Jewish leaders keep saying, no, no, we have Abraham as our father. Who's your father? Remember we talked about that when we talked about Mamzer, Jesus is a Mamzer weeks ago. So Jesus says to the Jews about Abraham, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews said back to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? How dumb are you? Then Jesus, I don't know if you can see it under the drums. Then Jesus, very truly, no, look at this. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, and then what's he say? I am. Now, if, if you're like, well, that's a weird sentence. Let me show you Exodus chapter 3, where Moses says to God, God, what's your name? Here's Exodus 3. Bruce, beautiful timing. God, so Moses, delivering the nation of Egypt out of slavery in the Old Testament, says to God, hey, God, if I go to your people and they ask me, what is your name, what shall I tell them? This is what God said. God said to Moses, I am who I am, which, if you're like, hmm, that's not helpful. <laughs> this is what you are to say to the Israelites. And what's that next sentence? I am has sent me to you. So, back to John 8, go backwards one, Bruce. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, I am, what's Jesus saying? You remember that guy talking to Moses? Uh, uh, I was a part of that. Right? I mean, you could not have said it more clearly. In fact, next, uh, next slide. Nope, one after that. Notice the response. Oh, shoot. Okay. Notice what the Jews do. See, sometimes I don't give Bruce all the right slides. 
Notice what the Jews do. They hear this. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. Why? He was blaspheming. So they picked up rocks to put him to death. Or if you go to John chapter 10, Jesus does something very similar. Again, talking about who is Jesus' father, because Jesus keeps saying, yeah, yeah, my father sent me, my father sent me, my father sent me. And they're all like, uh, you don't have a father, first of all. And, and he's like, no, 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 it's God. And I mean, this is really, it's really, this really interesting and complex discussion. And then Jesus says this, my father, who has given them to me, is greater than all of them. No one can snatch them, his followers, out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Now, the word here in the Greek language means one in essence. It doesn't mean one in purpose or one in motivation or like one in spirit. It means one in essence. And then notice, Bruce, do we have the next part of that? Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone Jesus. But Jesus said, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you want to put me to death? We are not stoning you for any good work. They replied, but for what? Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. So if you study the life of Jesus, Jesus gets put on trial by the very same religious authorities he's offending. And one of the big charges they level against him is blasphemy. So however it is that you understand Jesus, one of the questions I often get is, well, didn't Jesus... Why didn't Jesus just come out and say he was God? Well, he did, but you had to be Jewish to understand it. Secondly, why didn't Jesus come around and say he was the Messiah? He did, but you have to be Jewish to understand what he's saying. In claiming to forgive sins, in taking the divine name and saying, hey, I am, this was very, very deliberate, and the Jews kept threatening to put him to death for it. This was one of the things that led to to his Arrest and ultimately his crucifixion. Now, the question is, why does this matter? And there are two two reasons why it matters to you. First, some people will ask me, uh, I I have the wonderful privilege of having lots of conversations with folks, and sometimes people will say, hey, do you believe Jesus is the only way to God? Doesn't that seem narrow? What about Buddhists and Muslims and atheists and Hindus? I mean, are you saying all of those people are going to burn in hell because they didn't hear about Jesus and accept Jesus? And doesn't that just sound ridiculous? Aren't there many ways to God in the same way that, you know, some blind men are feeling one part of the elephant and another part of the elephant? And and I say, and and my response is always, no, 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 Jesus, Jesus isn't a way to God. That's that. Jesus, the claim is that Jesus is God. This is what God looks like when he wears clothes. This is what God looks like when he's walking the earth. This isn't isn't us debating about how we get to God. No, no, no. I mean, if you really want to be offended, be offended. The, The deeper claim, the claim of Christmas, by the way, is that God is with us. Right? So much of religion is about getting us up. The Bible's story of spirituality is about God coming down over and over and over and ultimately in person. And so the claim isn't, hey, Jesus is one of many paths. The claim is that Jesus is what God looks like when God took on flesh and blood. And that, by the way, turns out to be really good news because Jesus is amazing. See, when you think, see, often we, we start with this vague concept of God. God is a judge. God is... Um, 
a smiter. God is a punisher. God is a, a villain. God is whatever. When we say that Jesus is walking around claiming to show us what God is like, what we're saying is that Jesus is redefining whatever definition you have of God around him. You don't start with God and say, yeah, God's all present and God's all knowing and God's the unmoved mover and God's this or God's that. What Jesus is saying is, no, no, you start here and then work up. Jesus totally and forever redefined what we should think of when we think of what God is like. And the reason we spend so much time talking about what God is like is because of how compelling Jesus is. And if God is like Jesus, then that's incredible news. God turns out to love eating with sinful people. All only kind of people there are, by the way, but the really notorious ones he particularly enjoyed. God even puts up with religious people. You know, but they have to work a little harder to fall in love with him. Because God isn't, I mean, if God is like Jesus and Jesus would walk around being insulted, I mean, the irony of God being accused of blasphemy. How funny is that? Only God, only the God that, that fills and is transmitted through Jesus would come in such a way that the religious people would miss it and the sinful people would just adore him. I mean, this, this is the most upside down, and you're right, if you're here and you don't believe this stuff, I don't blame you for not believing this stuff, right? It is pretty wacky. But to me, it's always made a profound sense to see that God doesn't come in the midst of his glory, although he could have, in the midst of his power, although he could have, in the midst of coercing people to believe in him, although he could have. But he comes so humbly so that our hearts are actually exposed. Do you really want, if God is real, do you really want to open your life to him? You don't have to. He won't make you. It's just so fascinating to me that as Jesus walked around <laughs> claiming to be God, he was getting in trouble for doing so. And as it turns out, he was the real thing. Now, Bruce, go ahead and put up. The rest of the New Testament affirms this about Jesus. So these are different parts of different verses from different writings in the New Testament, and they're all just reflecting Jesus' self-understanding. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So God is invisible, Jesus was visible. Next, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Next. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, and then this phrase, the exact representation of his being. So the idea is, if, if you're sitting here and you're not quite sure about this whole thing, but you're like, that Jesus guy, he's interesting to me. The idea is, he's what God's like. Anyone, Jesus said this, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So the claim of the Bible isn't that Jesus came to invent a new religion, or that Jesus claimed to fix an old religion with a new one, or Jesus came to replace an old, out-of-date system with a new, up-to-date system. No, no, the claim is that God made a personal appearance on planet Earth in the form of Jesus of Nazareth and surprised everybody by how awesome he was. That's what we're talking about. That's what the Christmas story ultimately is about, right? All the presents are awesome too. Now. There's a second reason why this matters. And the second reason is this. The an irony of all ironies, when God shows up, he begins to dismantle the very system he put in place to meet with him. 
In other words, did Jesus come saying to everybody, hey, go to the temple, I'm here to validate the sacrifices, and go to the priests, and no. What did Jesus do? In one place, he claimed to be the temple. In another place, he cleansed the temple as one who was judging its corruption. Jesus forgave sins, declared lepers clean. Things that could only be done in the temple through the system, Jesus dismantled. Because it, partially because it was corrupt, partially because all those things were shadows that were pointing to him. But here's the point, men and women. Jesus came announcing to those who would never set foot in a temple or meet a priest or offer a sacrifice that you no longer had to do those things. That Jesus himself, God in person, was everything you needed right there. He was temple, he was priest, he was sacrifice. End of story. You didn't need the apparatus anymore. You didn't, you didn't need to make the pilgrimage anymore. You didn't need to buy the sacrifice anymore. All of it was taken care of. When Jesus, right before Jesus dies, he utters this very famous phrase, it is finished. And he uses a word from commerce that means paid in full. The idea that there's no more price to be paid, there's no more penalty to be paid, it's all taken care of. There's no other sacrifice you have to offer. There's no other temple you gotta go to. There's no other priesthood you gotta honor. In him, the whole thing is satisfied and fulfilled. And the problem with some forms of Christianity today is that we keep trying to resurrect priesthood and sacrifices and temples that you have to honor before you get to Jesus. And Jesus, if we were walking around today, would dismantle all of those things. Why? There's only one mediator between God and humanity, and it is the man, Jesus, according to Paul. This turns out to be great news. Why? There's no other sacrifice you've got to offer. There's no other temple you've got to go to. There's no other work you gotta perform. There's no other ladder you gotta climb. Jesus is the entirety of God's work on your behalf. See, Jesus got into trouble for lots of reasons. The way he treated women, the way he treated those in the margins. But the thing that got Jesus most in trouble is that he dared to say that you didn't have to go through the apparatus to get to God. All you had to do was to come to him because God has come to you, and that was it. Jesus didn't get into trouble by saying, hey, God's love. No, they believe that. He didn't get into trouble to say God wants to forgive you. No, no, the Jews had sacrifices for that. They didn't believe that. Jesus didn't get into trouble announcing that God was going to do a new thing and, and, and God's kingdom was now coming to deal with the Romans. No, they all believe that. What got Jesus into trouble is the audacity to say that all of those things, God's love, God's forgiveness, God's blessing, God's provision, all of that could be had directly through him and no one else. You didn't have to climb through any other religious system. So when people say, yeah, yeah, Jesus came to start a new religion, I'm like, I don't think so. I think Jesus did away with what made religion attractive to begin with. The problem, though, has been his church has tried to resurrect religion in his name. And if Jesus were walking around today, I think he'd be, I think he'd be making a whip and turning over some tables. 
Because if, if you're here and you're outside the religiousness of all of this, but you still somehow believe that priests are more holy and temples are more holy and, and, and you've got to jump through certain hoops. See, Jesus would just be saying, no, 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 that's not, just, that's not how it works. That's not what this is about. Jesus didn't come to replace old systems with new systems. Jesus took a system and replaced it with his person. So that the invitation is not that you become religious. You're, you're not, when you accept him, you're not accepting a new religion. What you're accepting is a covenant relationship that utterly is based on love and that love demonstrated by the fact that God moved at you first before you got your act together, before you got it cleaned up, before you had anything right about you. He moved first. I agree. I think that means it's time to close. So when, when we take the bread and the cup, as we will later, what is it we're taking? We're taking the, the guarantee of payment. We're taking that it's all, it's all done. All the preliminaries have been taken care of. You don't have to, you, you don't have to, there's nothing else you're bringing to the table. All you're doing is receiving a gift. That's it. There's no earning, there's no striving, there's no deserving. If you're sitting here and you're like, man, I don't think I can ever live up to what these people are like. First of all, you don't know these people. <laughs> it's a low bar. And secondly, <laughs> well, at least this guy. And then secondly, no, no, your worthiness has nothing to do with this. It's about how magnificent he turns out to be. So this is, this is why it was called good news. Jesus wasn't putting more burdens on people. He was releasing them. And so if the Jesus that's in your mind is the Jesus that's, that's sitting there waiting for you to get your act together, that's the wrong Jesus. If, you, if the Jesus in your mind is the Jesus that looks at you and sees you as scum, that's the wrong Jesus. If you're thinking that this is the Jesus that just sees is nothing but condemnation towards you, that's the wrong Jesus. Jesus is evidence that God moves first, and he moves towards all of us with a ferocious love that acknowledges, yes, the darkness in us. But like we talked about last week, he doesn't see behavior, he sees thirst. So the invitation, men and women, is to just come to the table and to be satisfied. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. Why not? Let's do some singing. Evidently, we are going to do this. Um, so we're going to sing, we're going to sing uh, several songs. You're more than welcome to stand, sit, sing, not sing. Then I'm going to come back up, and Heather is going to share a bit of her story, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Okay? Sound good? So let me pray, if I may, over you. You don't have to close your eyes, but it's recommended. God, I think God listens more when our eyes are closed. I mean, that's, that's not in the Bible, but it's my personal belief. I know, except when you're driving. And then, I'm sorry. My wife's going, really? I came in for this. So Lord, um, we are very, very grateful this morning to uh, be reminded of the fact that it's all been taken care of. There, there's nothing we're adding to the work that you've done. And, and that when you were here, and as you still are, you totally and radically redefine what we think of when we think of God. 
Our picture of God looks like you. But we need help to believe it's really that good. We need help to believe it's, re- it's really that gracious and it's really that holy and it's really that beautiful. And so we thank you for the reminders that you put around us, the bread, the cup, the songs, the people. And God, I particularly pray for those who've been hurt by the church. God, I know, I know the pain I've inflicted and I know pain others have inflicted. And God, we grieve that what was supposed to be this flat, beautiful expression of the universal accessibility of Jesus to all without intermediaries has in so many ways become a business, has in so many ways become another hierarchy, has in so many ways become another club, has in so many ways become another ladder to climb. And God, would you grace us with the beauty and the majesty of the unfiltered gospel of Jesus. That there is nothing left. There's no priesthood. There's no temple. There's no sacrifice. There's just you and your pursuit of us. And so God, would you help us to truly believe this? There's no guilt. There's nothing else we got to do. And so particularly for those of us, God, who find this hard to believe, would you draw near to them? And would you speak to them? And for the rest of us, God, may we re-inhabit these truths, that it's been paid in full, that it's finished, and help us to not put burdens on others as they come. And so, God, we give this time to you. We sing now um, to bless you and to remind us of how beautiful you are. Amen and amen. Uh, I want to introduce you to Heather, who, uh, in a great act of courage, is, uh, is willing to share her story today. Would you say hello? Uh, say hello to Heather. So we have this amazing crew of about 80 men and women who have been working with us to help launch uh, Vox, and many of them have been sharing their stories, and uh, you're invited. We, we all have them, and we'd love to hear yours. Uh, so Heather, hello. Hi. How are you? Nervous. Okay. <laughs> so well, let's put that up right here. Okay. Yep. And do you want, you want a music stand? Uh, yeah. Would that be helpful? That would be helpful. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's just, let's just, let's not say anything for a couple minutes and just see what they do. <laughs> I bet they get squarely. <laughs> Are you, is that good? Good. All right. Yeah. It's your turn. It's my turn. Yeah. Let's keep that up there. Keep that up there. Oh, up. All right. I'm. The whole way. Uh, All the way. You guys are familiar with stage fright? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. We're proud of you. Okay. All right. My name is Heather, and I really struggle with fitting in. So um, I'll just start with life hasn't been easy for me. Uh, and I really, I think that um, being a Christian has sometimes been... Well, I think that being a Christian sometimes is harder, and things that I, like before, I things that I would have normally brushed off or just ignored, that now I feel like I need to dissect, and sometimes I find I need to find ways to be loving and compassionate, even when, even when I find that really difficult to do. <laughs> uh, 
difficult to do, and even when that's with people that I find that difficult to do with. <laughs> um, I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, I actually grew up pretty rough, so um, it's pretty hard for me to relate to most Christians, uh, especially Christians that grew up in the church. Um, <clears throat> to me, they're kind of like this blue blood group that have like secret handshakes and um, the camp songs that they sang as kids and... Some call us the Illuminati. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, and they have like a thousand mnemonic devices to remember all of the Bible stories and everything. <laughs> and um, I even uh, used to sit in on... Um, you know, junior high and high school classes to try to like catch up when I was when I first became a Christian, just because it was like, you know, it was easier to learn with the kids. <laughs> um, many, I think, many in here would prefer that after the sermon I gave today. Yeah. So. Anyway, uh, so um, I, and also just in Sunday school classes, I found that a lot of uh, a lot of them would. Um, they, they always knew all the answers to the Sunday school classes, Sunday school questions, and they, uh, it was almost like they were just regurgitating information from previous lessons, and uh, I got to come to think of them as like these cruise control Christians, because they would be there, and they would just always be like, oh, I know that answer. You Jesus. Know? It's always Jesus. It's always, the answer is always Jesus. Yeah. Um, so I just didn't really feel like I fit in there, and I don't fit in with the Christians who seem to have it all together. Um, I find that I'm constantly in process. I, um, I always have to find myself like asking every day where he's gonna lead me. I've never felt like a huge pull towards being in ministry or something. And I, I think that when I, first, uh, when I first became a Christian, I felt like I should feel that. And I, I didn't feel that. I just feel like my life is my ministry. Mm. And um, I try to be mindful of the way God presents opportunities in my life to, um, to serve and to be helpful. Uh, I run into a lot of Christians who seem to tell God how they are going, what they're going to do for him and how they're going to serve him rather than letting him lead. And I find that very bizarre. So <laughs> um, I kind of figure, you know, that... Um, it's it's his story, so he'll give me the playlist as I go along, and I don't really need to have all the answers right now, and I don't have to have it all together, but a lot of people seem like they really have it all together. Yeah, and they're lying. Yeah. They're lying. I, um, so I think that for me, accepting that I don't need to have it all together, there's a lot of freedom in that because... Bringing a Christian to me doesn't mean that you have it all together. It means that I know how to appreciate grace. Um, I also, I really, really don't fit in with church politics. Um, we've had, we've been in a position previously where we've had to pray really hard and make a really hard decision to, to leave a church that we were heavily involved in and really loved because we felt that they were going in directions that were um, led more by their own self, their social agenda rather than where God was leading. And um, it, was, it was really hard because we were, we were called some pretty hard names and mm. uh, we lost all of our friends. And um, well, that said, 
I would rather be on God's train than bickering over who's on the platform and who's lining up how on the platform. So, um, You're killing it right now, just by the way. <laughs> so um, after having used a lot of churchy words, which is not like me, um, it reminds me of what I consider bumper sticker Christians, the ones who use all of the slogans and um, like parts of scripture to, um, you know, to give you like as a sticker when, when things aren't going well, or sometimes when, even when things are going well, but it's usually in a negative situation and it's typically not helpful whatsoever. Um, we gotta change, we gotta change your opening line. Okay. From, from, hi, I'm Heather, and I don't fit into, hey, I'm Heather, and I don't like Christians, even though I am one. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I think a lot of us relate to that, but it's funny. I'm sorry. No, no. But, but I love being a Christian, and I think the idea is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so, but I, um... I have a really good example of the bumper sticker Christian move because I had it. I had a perfect one this week. I had a horrible, horrible week where my husband was out of town for work and we didn't see him till Thursday evening. I worked uh, a VBS and I was in charge of a nursery room all week. Um, in the process, my, uh, my youngest daughter, my three-year-old, fell over backwards and we had to rush her and get her stitches in the back of her head. Um, uh, my purse fell apart, which I know doesn't seem like much, but at the time it was really devastating. Um, <laughs> my phone, which was kind of cracked, is now completely destroyed, and like I have to be careful because I'm going to get, you know, the slivers in your finger. Um, the radiator that we just replaced in my car, my car, um, the radiator blew on the grapevine, and the radiator that we just replaced, we found out that the head gasket is now com completely gone. That's a gone. cheap fix. That's a cheap fix. Yeah, um, so it's going to go to, like, pick and pull heaven, and so now we're looking for a new car. Um, and so somebody said to me at VBS, very kind and very loving, anybody, anybody want to guess which one it was? God will never give you more than you can handle! Was that it? Yes! That was the yes! one. That was the one. Oh, cheer up. Okay. All right. Cheer up. It was I didn't even know that. This was not pre-rehearsed. No. It was so not comforting at all. It was so not comforting. <laughs> I, I actually had a little bit of, okay, more than a little bit of anger um, at the moment because it was right after my daughter had like gotten the stitches and I was very calm, very cool. I have medical background. So I was just like, hey, but you know, the next day we were there and it, they meant it so lovingly, but um, God is always giving me more than I can handle. He's making me- Come on, preach. He's, he's making me rely on him more. He's making me- um, It's he's the preach towel. <laughs> just preach it. Just come on. He's I'm gonna always, go take a seat. He's, he's always testing my limits. He's always making me trust him more. And I've actually stopped praying for patience because I'm constantly afraid of what he's going to do next. <laughs> so, um, so uh, yeah, that's, that's my bumper sticker, guys. Um, I also, without a shadow of a doubt, I, I do not fit into the to the women's circle events. I, I, um, 
I pretty much avoid them. I, I can't, I can't do it. I, I tried, I did the women's Bible, Bible study ones and the study portion is great and if I could head out after that, maybe I would stay. But I can't, I can't do the, the circle afterwards. I'm gonna say it, uh, it gets hijacked all the time and it kind of turns into personal therapy and I, I just wanna do the study. Um, mops, mops and me, yeah, it's just a no. Not everyone knows what MOPS is. Oh, it's mothers of preschoolers, and yeah, you that's go all you and, have to say. Well, they, they try to make it really lovely, and, and there's women who put a lot of creative effort into making these this warm and welcoming atmosphere, and they, they even create tables that look great, and it, they, they name them like Courageous Coral and stuff, and I, I, I can't pretend to care about the crafts. I can't do, it's just a no for me. Um, I'd rather go get coffee. How much more we got? I just uh, got to check. Sorry. No, 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 no. I mean, I don't want to rush you. It's no, just, no, 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 uh, no. we got to be done like, like 11. I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. I'm oh. kidding. I keep interrupting you. Okay. That's why you're going long. Sorry. Um, to where we at? Right here. Okay, good. All right. Bottom, um, of, bottom of page uh, two. Okay. She's got the preacher. Thing. Okay, I'll shut up. All right, good, good, good. No, 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 no. Sorry. Okay. Um, I I don't fit in with most Christians and a good portion of my family um, with a lot of Christian values because um, I refuse to give up my interactions and my friends that are gay. Um, my best friend is gay, and he came out later in his life, and. Um, my husband and I have made kind of our, our, we've made hospitality kind of our thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have people over all the time. And we've been told on various occasions that we need to limit our children's exposure to our gay friends so that it doesn't influence, <clears throat> influence their view on that particular lifestyle. And I will never limit my children's exposure to kind and compassionate people. And <laughs> thank you. Um, my home is always open. And um, I hope that my views of hospitality will just make Jesus beautiful and can change some hearts. So preach. Um, how many, and hey, then, how many claps did I get? <laughs> and then um, now we're here at Vox, and I won't say that I don't fit in here, but I'm not sure how we're going to fit in here. We're, we're, it's new, and we're changing, and uh, I feel like we're still in progress. Um, I, uh, I um, lost my place. Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I do know that uh, above everything else um, about church that um, that I I love God and I believe in his vision of the church and that I am here because God has done so much for me. Um, I was in a really, really awful motorcycle accident. I shattered my pelvis. I broke my right arm. Um, I had a severe concussion. Um, I wasn't supposed to be able to walk again. 
at least not straight. Um, during that time, my ex-husband left me, um, and it was through God and um, different members of different churches. He took care of me. Um, I now um, have uh, my husband, whom I met through missions work. I have um, I have the 15th anniversary of the accident coming up, and since then, I've I've. I've run a marathon, half marathons, lots of events. Um, next weekend is the 15th anniversary. It's also the f my daughter's fifth birthday. So um, God actually gave me uh, my daughter on the anniversary of the accident. So if that's not a signature of God, I don't really know what is. Um, so he took somebody who was very, very broken emotionally and physically, and he really did make me whole again, and he continues to find ways to, even though I'm constantly in process, to, to make, make me whole and to, um, to help me at least fit in with him. And um, I continue to hope that Vox will be <laughs> a place that I can fit in. Yes! Yes! Hey, don't go. Don't go. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry it was wet. Would you, after I introduce to me, would you be comfortable praying? Um, you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Would you be, would that be all right? All right, all right. Not yet. Okay. So, just get ready. Um, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> it's so hard for me to be quiet because uh, I'm just cheering you on. Um, so what we're going to do is uh, really that's that's some of the beauty of why we celebrate uh, something called an open table. And um, we're not checking uh, faith cards and spiritual IDs and we're not checking backgrounds. Uh, we believe the invitation of Jesus is extended uh, for any and all without condition uh, to come and to take. And um, so what we do is we take some bread. Christians have been doing this for centuries. Um, and for us, we dip it into, into juice. And for Jesus, this was a, a picture and a reality of what his sacrifice was, of what was finished, of what it was that purchased us freedom and wholeness and restoration. And so um, whether you buy the whole thing or just a small part, um, we invite you, if you're so inclined, to come to the table and to take and to eat uh, in recognition of God's movement towards us and his grace toward us, regardless of where we are at. We also want to invite you, uh, so this is, we hand kind of the worship back to you um, during this part of our service. Uh, so we invite you to do that, to, uh, to come to the table, gluten-free always is over there. And uh, we'll do vegetarian communion later. And, um, and, uh, and maybe, you know, I, okay, sorry. Uh, and um, uh, so that's over there. Uh, we also have people. Uh, Carolyn's my favorite. Um, well, no, Philip's awesome, too. And, and Carrie's over here. And so we have, we have some prayer folks who are in Vox t-shirts who would love to pray for you. And uh, we know you come in, some of you, with some really heavy things. We also have these boxes called participation boxes, and we don't ever want to make money an issue, but we are supported by some really, really generous people and some people for whom they are practicing generosity. 
warring against the greed uh, that infects us all. And so um, if you want to participate in worship in that way, there are these boxes around the room that you can use to do that. And also uh, they're for any information cards you fill out. You can put those in there too. So we're going to sing again. But before we do, Heather, would you pray for us uh, as we enter into this time? Heavenly Father, I lift up this community to you. Some of us are in a season of joy. Some of us may be in a season where our hearts are breaking and we just need to find a place to belong, and that is with you. We we come to you humbled. We come to you with thanksgiving, We just come to you in this place, and we pray for peace. We pray for understanding. We pray for a love everlasting. Amen. Amen. Um, I don't know. All right. I don't know. All right. So uh, would you stand? Would you stand? I mean, you don't have to. See, was it so bad sitting down here? No, do you, are you sorry you brushed me off and ignored me? <laughs> Not really. Um, all right, so uh, I'd love to pray over you. We're, we're, we're grateful that you're here, and we always do, uh, we always end with kind of a closing blessing that's taken from the book of Numbers. Um, and this was what the high priest uh, would pray over the people after the daily sacrifices. And so... Um, not that there are daily sacrifices and priests and temples, but today um, it speaks to kind of the heart of, I think, what all of us are looking for out in the world. So I want to just say that over you as we go together. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace above all else. Amen. And amen. Say hello to somebody, unless you're an introvert, and then please race out the door. Don't talk to anybody. Oh, you're racing. I see you. I'm going to try to beat you. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com participate.